what exactly is the kingdom of God and how do we experience it here on earth? Find out in today's message how Jesus was made to show us the way. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from Tower Hills Communications Team. Thanks for listening in to our weekly podcast. We hope today's message inspires you to dig deeper in your faith. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. This week, we're on chapter 23 in our sermon series called The Story. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Hey everyone, welcome to The Story. Yes, we're continuing with the story in our sermon series, and the biggest reason is because this is the part of the story where we're talking the most about Jesus, about what he meant when he came to live as one of us, what it meant that he taught as a rabbi, uh, and what did it mean that he was crucified, died, and rose again. And this is all happening right here within the context of Lent as we're looking forward to Easter. So Listen, I know there's a lot of anxiety going on in your life. I know that there is a lot of fear, but this is a time to decide what are you going to feed? You're going to feed your fear, you're going to feed your faith. And I think nothing really speaks to feeding our faith more than talking about who Jesus is and who is he to you. So last week we were talking a bit about how Jesus represented something that was new. That if the whole world were stuck in a dark room, All we knew was the kingdom of this world, right? If you're in a dark room and there's no light, all you know is the darkness. And then throughout the Old Testament, there were times when it seemed like God was shining a flashlight through the prophets and through the kings and through, you know, people like Abraham and Moses and and through the judges that a flashlight would, would get turned on in the room and you could just catch a glimpse of how things really were, the reality that exists on the other side of the darkness. But then what's more, when Jesus came, he did something completely new. He ripped open the curtain that was blocking the light from outside and all the light poured in and the kingdom of this world was shown in all of its ugliness and brokenness because of sin. But more than that, it also showed that there was another kingdom, a kingdom of beauty and joy and perfection on the other side. And that's the kingdom of God. And Jesus's job And Jesus' main role, it seems, was to help us understand the nature of these two kingdoms and how we can be part of the kingdom of God, not the decaying kingdom of this world. So I know that's all like really kind of theological and, and heady, but let me break it down for you. The kingdom of this world is about being broken by sin. And some folks say like, well, you know, children, how can you say that children are sinful? And I'm like... I don't know, all you parents homeschooling your kids like, <laughs> might have a whole different perspective than you did before. I remember a story when I was a kid about sin. Uh, my mother used to love devil dogs. I mean, who doesn't, right? Who doesn't love a good devil dog? But she was also really keen on losing weight. She was always on a diet. And there was a store not too far from where we lived in California called the Slender Sweet Shop. It was in Montrose, California. And they would sell these kind of diet desserts. And, you know, back then it was like stuff made with saccharin. And, uh, yeah, I don't think it was very healthy. But, uh, but one of the items that was her favorite was to get these diet devil dogs. 
And listen, only people from New Jersey can really appreciate the devil dog. But anyway, she had these devil dogs. And we were instructed as kids, do not touch mom's devil dogs. And we were threatened. Our very lives were threatened as a result. Well, I had the chance to try one of these devil dogs, and they were delicious. So 12-year-old me, what I did was I took one of mom's devil dogs, ate it, took the wrapper, and put it in my brother's bed. Yes. And, and by the way, I've never publicly admitted that I've done that until right now. So Nick, if you're watching, here's your evidence. Here's, here's your proof. So, you know, 35 years ago, I framed my brother and he got in so much trouble. And I felt guilty, but not that guilty. Listen, that's sin. That's the brokenness of sin playing out even in a dumb devil dog story. It shows that when Jesus shines a light on the dark room, it shows just how filthy the room is. The kingdom of this world, there is no way you can get to God from this kingdom. You can't get to the kingdom of God by staying in the room. You need some, and you can't get out yourself. You need somebody to open a door and to let you out. Because the kingdom of God is like the, the complete opposite. It's that place we were talking about last week where there's true justice and freedom from oppression and suffering and comfort and peace and mercy. It's that place where you can see God without even trying. God is there. God is present. He is not invisible from you. And so the idea is that then what God was doing, and this is the whole arc of the story, is that God would provide a savior that would show the way to the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who makes possible all of us regular people in the kingdom of this world to go to the kingdom of God. He opens the door and bids us to come. And this is what all of scripture has been culminating to, this moment when God himself would intervene in this dark room. John 1.9 puts it this way, the true light that gives light to everyone was about to come. That's Jesus. Or in Luke 1, that Jesus is son of the most high God, that he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. He's going to rule over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Matthew 1 says he will save his people from their sins. And even in the first couple of chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus is fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies, the, the virgin birth, the, the trip to Egypt, the fact that he's from Nazareth. I mean, these are all these prophecies. So many are being fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And then we get to a stage in his life where it's really the beginning of his public ministry. I would love to hear stories of Jesus, the teenager. I can't wait to hear about that, right? <laughs> but we don't get that in scripture. But what we do get is the moment of his baptism right before he goes in to begin his work as a rabbi. So this is Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is a really wild moment in Scripture because even though the word Trinity didn't exist yet, we see the Trinity 
on display in this moment of Jesus' baptism. Jesus' identity is revealed in baptism, that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, that there is a, a connection between them, that the Father flat out says, this is my son. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and Jesus' commissioned is revealed for being the Son of God, the great I Am, the one who is going to be the Savior and show us the way from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. What's interesting to me is what happens next. Next, Jesus goes out to the wilderness. Here's how that goes, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You notice, you notice what Satan's doing? He's immediately testing his identity. Right? It was just revealed in his baptism that he is God's Son. What's the first thing that somebody else says to him? If you are the Son of God. In other words, you might not really be. If it's true, do this. I've definitely seen that in different stages of my life when I felt like I had a really powerful God moment and then I'm immediately tested on that moment right after. Maybe you can relate. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But you didn't know. You knew that scripture. Yeah, it comes from scripture. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. So what's he doing? He's showing them all the kingdoms of the world. Like, this is it. Jesus, you don't have to worry about the kingdom of God. Worship me and you get all of these kingdoms, all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Isn't that interesting? Jesus began to preach, it's about the kingdom of heaven. I am forsaking whatever power I have for the kingdom of this world for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And that he began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. How? Through Jesus. Jesus is the living, breathing kingdom of heaven on this earth. And then if you look at Jesus' ministry through the lens of the kingdom of God, you start seeing it everywhere. Think about Jesus' first miracle, which I know everyone gets excited about. Water into wine. You're like, yes! <laughs> but Jesus' first miracle, it was, you know, why did he do it? Well, he seems to not want to initially, but he wants to honor his mother's request and he wants, and the request was that the wedding family, that the parents weren't embarrassed because they ran out of wine during the celebration. And you see a bit of foreshadowing in Jesus' first miracle as well, that it was both a now and not yet statement about the kingdom of God, that 
that this wedding celebration is not unlike the kind of joy that we're going to see when we are all together with God in his kingdom. But it's also not there yet. We still are straddling the kingdom of this world. The the kingdom of God has not fully arrived um, until the kingdom of this world is no more. And there was more of this kingdom language when he had that conversation with Nicodemus, who was the Pharisee, the only Pharisee that we know of, who took the time to go talk to Jesus about his teachings. John 3, 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Gross. But <laughs> Nicodemus clearly didn't understand. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. It's interesting, he's talking here, of course, about baptism, and it sounds a lot like what he's talking about that happened at his baptism. And it makes you realize why baptism is such a big deal in the life of the church. It's a holy moment. It's a moment where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together and acting intentionally upon our lives. Just like Jesus Christ, our identity is revealed in baptism. The will of the Father, new birth in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's because of our baptism that we start to proclaim about the kingdom of God. We're given the same exact mission that Jesus was. We proclaim that Jesus is the one who reveals the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, and that Jesus is the way to the kingdom of God. In order to help you understand kind of how the kingdom of God works, I came up with this graphic back when we did John Ortberg's series last spring, Eternity is Now in Session. And it's to help us understand the kind of dual nature that we're living in now. We are still living in the kingdom of this world, that part of God's creation that has been corrupted by sin. And that kingdom is all around us. We experience it every day. We're experiencing it right now when when the virus has attacked us. Um, But we experience the kingdom of God at the same time. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you become one with him, you experience the true joy of the kingdom, the celebration, the love, the connection with God. You can see God in the midst of everything. It's like you've got one foot in both worlds, or actually both feet in both worlds. You experience the kingdom of God now, but then one day when Jesus comes back, all that's left is going to be the kingdom of God. There will be no more kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God will overtake everything in its beauty. So I always say it's sort of like a baseball field. When Jesus came and he died and rose again and made a way for us ordinary people to join the kingdom of God, that kingdom started to grow outward. Sort of like lines on a field that go out to infinity. They're at an angle. So one day, all that's left will be everything within that angle. And so that first began, the kingdom of God, and the experience of that began with the apostles The early followers of Jesus had spread to the early church. Now all the way to where we are, where the kingdom of God continues to grow until one day it will be fully realized. And this is the whole point of the story. From cover to cover, from creation to revelation, it's all about that Jesus made a way for us 
to participate in the kingdom of God. This is summed up beautifully by John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the climax of the story. This is the point. This is the theme. This is what you write when you're talking about it. This is on the back cover. This is what it's all about. That God so loved the world, maybe you would say the kingdom of this world, that he decided to save it by directly intervening through it. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God that I think we need to keep in our minds. We need to remember to look at the world through kingdom of God colored glasses. And if our vision of God's kingdom is not the most joyful, incredible, amazing thing that we can conceive of, we need a bigger vision. We need that vision to steer us through the brokenness of the kingdom of this world. Not to give us uh, like a fake smile on our face or a superficial grin, but a deep and abiding joy in the face of anything. This is maybe the most important chapter of your story. Amen. <laughs>